It's Tuesday, August 13th, 2019, and you're listening to episode 520 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 54 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Wayne. My name's Chad. And I'm Dale. Who? Yeah, all right. So let's start with that. We have with us today a guest host named Dale. Mm -hmm. So, Dale, do you want to introduce yourself or do you want Chad to do it? Uh, Why don't you do it? No, go ahead, Chad. You know, you have a website. I don't even know what your website's called. Uh, My website is called Mm johnbrazer.com. I am a president of an RPG publishing company called John Brazer Enterprises. Can also be found at (laughs) brazers.com. No. We linked johnbrazer.com in the show notes of a prior episode. If you guys, after hearing Dale fall in love with him and everything he does, which I know you will, you can go to the show notes and find another link to johnbrazers.com and get your John on with the Brazzers and take a look at what he is doing. I mean, jokes aside, seriously, do do give this website a click and take a look at what he's doing. Now I just picture this website that's just him and bras. And I don't want to go there. No, that that's Brazier, not yeah. Brazzer. Brazzers know, is but... like a low-rent version of Pornhub. Very much so, yes. That I... does publicity stunts at golf tournaments. Yeah, hmm. uh, my website predates it. That's all I have to say. At <laughs> least as far as a lawsuit here. Well, it's far enough away that it's not going to be. Porn makes a lot of money. Why would you not sue here? Hmm. Because I'm sure they have more. Because he's rolling RPG cash. Okay. That's, why. That's true. That's true. They have considerably more money than me. There's no way porn doesn't make uh, more money than an RPG. That's true. Account. They have something you don't, porn. which is weirdly sexy lawyers. Yeah. <laughs> And you don't have that. You like, don't know. You don't know this yeah. man. Well, Maybe no, he no. Does have a no, whole I, cadre of sexy lawyers. I do. Because as a divorce <laughs> podcaster, unlike Johnny G, I can tell you about the amount of podcast put I'm swimming in, and it's not much. So I, <laughs> <laughs> I know all about exactly where he's at. I know he does not have sexy lawyers. <sighs> fair, fair. Now, I do have effective lawyers. Mm. I've got both a business and criminal lawyer that are damn good. But neither of them are sexy. No. So we will link johnbrazer.com, which I'm to understand was a character name? Yes. John Brazer originally was a World of Darkness character name. And (laughs) you should see the the smile on Mm. Dan's face right now. We were having an interesting World of Darkness conversation at dinner. We're not going to (laughs) repeat. But... Yeah, okay, so I didn't know it was World of Darkness. Which yes. which World of Darkness? Was it like, well, was well, he a vampire? Pause, hold on, let's pause right here, because there's probably people who don't know what is on the website. And so okay. at this point, it's World of Darkness law porn. That's what <laughs> the audience is getting. Uh, that's and, what the audience wants. <laughs> I mean, that After may be 13 what, years, I think yeah. I would know. <laughs> that may be what they want, but it's not what they're going to get if they go there. So what would they get if they go there? Okay, John Brazer Enterprises is an RPG publishing company focused around Pathfinder, D&D 5th Edition, Traveler, and 13th Age. Cool. So we make compatible products for that that are freaking awesome that you should absolutely go to and download every last one right now. Every single one. Every single one. All of them. <laughs> so, yes, I will link that in the show notes, and people can go take a look at that. Yes. The other way in which we've gotten to know Dale mm-hmm. is Dale recently moved to the St. Louis area, and Chad bogarted from Caleb, which was kind of a dick move. Boy, was it. And he is now playing in their Blades of Darkness game. Blades in the Dark. Blades in the Dark. I just said Blades, Blades of Darkness. Of Darkness. I just World made of Darkness. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it yeah. was a whole theme. What yeah. the hell? It's right. all one game. It is. This is our Kevin Symbieta multiverse. <laughs> That's right. Someone copyright Blades of Darkness. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, sure. Why not? Trademark it, actually. But, yeah, go ahead. He is in their game yes. playing one of the assassins, he is our, as is his wife, Larry. <laughs> yes, his wife, Larry. <laughs> yes. yes, he is our cutter in the game, which is basically the heavy. Yeah, it's not a, an emo. No, no, not actually a cutter. They have a whole slang sure. in the game. And he is they have like a cockney, pseudo-cockney right. type yeah. slang. That, uh, yeah, like Wayne's character is he's playing a leech, and which is kind of like a, a doctor, chemist, mad scientist sort of person. But yeah, uh, Dale, you are our cutter 
That's and, correct. Yep. And who's our heavy punch first, ask questions later sort of guy. Yes. So kind of like a bruiser. He is, but yep. he actually has like this whole spiritual connection. He's tough and mean and angry and like how he vents stress is by getting into underground boxing rings. Like he gets into this big, huge fight and assassination contract and how he cools off is stepping into the ring for money. Right. Huh. So, I mean, you're, we're talking a tough ombre here. Okay. All his skills revolve around the ghosts and the supernatural. He can punch ghosts. He can, like, sense them and stuff. It's very weird. It's plausible. Yeah. I think In most, this setting it is. Most people can punch ghosts. <laughs> right. You just haven't encountered enough yet to know it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, how many people have tried? Like, I know. Yeah, I've heard a lot of ghost stories. Have you ever heard one? So like, and then I tried to punch it. Right. None of them in that way. <laughs> you know, you are going to get emails about somebody punching a ghost. ghost. That's fine. Yeah. We'll, we'll have an episode about that. Mm-hmm. People's ghost punching stories. We'll get Broder on here to talk about that. And I'm sure he'll have all kinds of great things to say. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, you hear all these stories about people encountering ghosts and they run away or they try to take a picture with the world's worst camera or God knows <laughs> what. But you never hear. I tried to just lay just its ass out. Yeah. yeah. And. I, you I look at Ghostbusters. I was, they ran away. The librarian. Yeah, screamed yeah at them. exactly. Yeah. The librarian just screamed at him. I think mo- I've been screamed at by a librarian. <laughs> I have punch been. Him? No, I just <laughs> right. nor did I run away. We just laughed at him. Yeah. This was back when I was in high school and a whole bunch of us were doing a senior research paper and we were irritating the hell out of the staff there. And in truth, we're probably being jerks. Oh, given, yeah. Given our age and all. Right. In retrospect, I'm sure I disapprove of everything I was doing. <laughs> but I'm just saying, I've been yelled at by a librarian, and I didn't run and... Didn't punch. I did not lay her out either. No. We just no. kind of, you know... Yeah, quieted down and got back to work. And then laughed at her and got noisy again. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's, you know, the maturity of that age. Yeah. But, all right, so... What we're going to talk about today is actually something that relates to what's going on on Brazzers.com. So we didn't get the story, though, of John Brazer. What World of Darkness setting was John Brazer from? All right. So it was Vampire the Masquerade 2nd Edition. Okay. 3rd Edition was out, and the GM pulled a little bit from it, but that's beside the point. And what edition did New World of Darkness occur? I think that was actually 4. Okay. Uh, I'm not entirely sure, but I think that's if you just went by Microsoft math of, you know, one, yeah. two, three, three, one, ninety five. <laughs> yeah, I think it would be number four. Ninety five, ninety seven, two thousand seven. Yeah. Eight. Exactly. <laughs> right. OK, so it was it was a vampire character. And actually, speaking of such things, somebody did point out to me that like 12 years ago, I made a promise that they ever came out with Hunters Hunted 2. We would review it. You. You would review it. Well, we're not. We. Okay. But I made the promise. So now, whether it's a regular or negative, I don't know what it's going to be. I have to review it. But they call the old world darkness now, like the stuff that's still being made by like the original White Wolf crew. They call it something else. They don't call it World of Darkness anymore. Chronicles of Darkness. Chronicles of Dark. I knew it was something weird like that, like Dark Domains or something. But they have some other name for it. It's not World of Darkness anymore. Because I, I was reading this Promethean book, so I'm playing in a Promethean second edition game, and I noted in there, they're like, you can find it in this or other, whatever that mad lib set of adjectives and nouns was, book. And I'm like, huh, so they're not calling it, which makes sense, because they don't own it anymore. Right. You know, that passed off to CCP, and I don't know what they've done with it since, but... It's a very tangled web of legalness. Yeah, and... <laughs> overlapping equally offended social circles but whatever so dale one of the things that you were talking to us about at dinner tonight is you were asking about the games that i'm currently involved in and the D game where i was playing my beautiful beautiful waymick has unfortunately <laughs> sort of stumbled though i was telling them i did get out of this a miracle which is Julia made the mistake of telling me that somebody else whose name I forget has this picture and it's not pornographic or anything. You know, but, when somebody says I have a picture, but it's not pornographic or anything, it's porn. It's, yeah. No, yeah. no, this is not. I can show you some. There's it's no tasteful. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> distasteful. <laughs> it's distasteful. It's just not nude. Mm. And it has a strapping oh, lion man sort of thing and a strapping tiger man sort of thing. And Julia was telling me that some friend of hers, whose name I forget, 
keeps like goat seeing her with this picture. <laughs> like when she least expects it, he drops this picture on her. Right. And so I've now started doing the exact same thing to her where like, she'll ask me a question in the middle of the day. Cause she's stuck on some PHP or something. And so she'll be like, Hey, how do you do this? And I'll give her three lines of code and then bomb her with that picture and then <laughs> give her the rest of the code. So we were just talking about, you know, gaming mm-hmm. and stuff and my current games. And where I thought you were going with that was asking about the Skies of Glass game. Now, one of the things that brought to mind with Skies of Glass is the fact that Skies of Glass is a homebrew. And, in fact, a lot... It's not homebrew, it's just pre-published. Well, <laughs> well, I mean, either way, it was... Look, D&D was somebody's homebrew. Unfortunately, the people who homebrewed it are either dead or not in good shape. But, nonetheless, it was a, a homebrew game. It's not a homebrew to anyone else, but it was to them. And... So as someone that has been writing games and writing game material, going back to the early 90s when Tex and I were writing for Battletech and actually created some amount of pseudo-canon for the setting and have characters that we were assigned to develop and such, and then into the mid-90s when I created what were some of my most enduring, at least within our group games, like Skies of Glass, Epoch of Rysos and such. And now Skies of Glass as we're actually playing it, and I'm ever so slowly working on a rules wiki. That got me thinking about game writing and, and game development. And you, obviously, on your website, johnbrazer.com, publish stuff for a variety of games. And one of the points that Chad brought up in discussing this very diplomatic very diplomatically (laughs) was that he said that one of the comments you made to him i don't remember if it was prior to a game or over dinner he told me and i don't is dinner at the best greek restaurant in south county okay you were having dinner at the one greek restaurant in south county uh i know shockingly (laughs) actually quite a few i know (laughs) but you were talking about the differences in writing for different games. And one of the examples that Chad tossed at me, and I don't know how representative this was of the entire conversation. And feel free to say Chad's full of I didn't say that. (laughs) Is that writing supplements for games like D&D 3.x or Pathfinder gives you a particular avenue for creating material that some of the newer, more streamlined games don't. Like 5e, you had right. mentioned this. Because, hard, right? for example, in 3x or Pathfinder, you can write a lot about stats, about feats, about you know all the kind of mechanical stuff that goes into the game. Tables and charts and stats. Oh, my. Yeah, I mean, for lack of a better term, we'll just call these yeah. proper nouns. Whereas in a game like 5e, which is far more flattened mathematically and where characters don't have as many moving parts they have to set up each and every level, that sort of takes away your ability to put that in the books and changes how you write those books. Now, I I think where this applies to our audience as a whole is everyone that is involved in a role-playing game is some degree of a creative individual. Because you are creating your character, you're creating your interpretation of that character. If you're a GM, you might be creating a setting or even a whole system. And so everyone is looking to add things to their gaming experience. That's the nature of gaming. And even if you're not directly looking to add things to the gaming experience, which I think would be hard for me to buy given the nature of gaming... There certainly still is the interesting side of this of how does the sausage get made? You know, how do we go from someone who has an idea to the actual published products that we are consuming? You represent a microcosm of that because of the fact that you are simultaneously not just working on multiple editions of D&D, but also working on games that are wildly outside of the pitch and tenor of D&D like Traveler, you know, where you may die in the foreword of the book. (laughs) And so I'm kind of curious because Chad was talking about, at least per his version of events, and maybe this is accurate. I I don't know. I'm not saying it's not. You know, I don't know either, to be honest with you. So (laughs) that you were talking about some of the struggles that games like 5e create 
because of the limitations of what you can add to the game. And I'm curious to hear you talk about whether it's struggles or successes or whatever, what it is like to create for all of this stuff. Okay, a little background here. First off, let's start with the beginning of the OGL, that third edition. Third edition, for those of you that don't know, Wizards of the Coast released 95 plus percent of their rules on what they called the open gaming license. This license allowed anyone to take whatever they want from those rules and do whatever they so desired. It was really great, really wonderful, very friendly to the publisher, to the home brewer, to anyone that wanted to do whatever they wanted. And so we got a number of things like Spycraft, uh, Mutants and Masterminds, for example. Pathfinder? Eventually Pathfinder, yes. It allowed people to make things for Dungeons & Dragons that simply could not be done before without a specific paid signed-for license from then TSR. Yep, and that's basically what Pathfinder started off as, was creating modules and content based yeah. on the OGL. Pathfinder was a D&D publication before it became Pathfinder. Yeah. Exactly. And whenever Wizards decided to move on to a different edition, they said, well, there's this audience here that likes this current edition. We're just going to take that current edition, make a few ch- tweaks and changes to it, and re-release it, and people loved it. One of the interesting things about the OGLs, it was written in such a way that it cannot be sunset. That's my understanding. I'm not a lawyer, but my understanding from Ryan Dancy, who's one of the people who helped formulate it, is that it was written such that it cannot be rescinded. That is correct. The OGL itself says flat out right in there that it, this is perpetual. It's good for all time, basically. In the year 3001, you can still use 3rd edition D&D material. Which is a waste, because you should be living Battletech at that point. (laughs) But if something possesses you to do this, then go ahead. Well, I imagine at that point it'll just be streamed directly into our brains. But that's beside the point. Anyways, so compare that with today's licensing standards. 5th edition D&D and a number of other games along those same lines, the license on them is, okay, you can only make stuff for this game. You can't even make another setting for it without it becoming our property. This is for D&D 5th edition. This is for Traveler 2nd edition. This is for a whole host of other number of games. Okay, so we're not obviously going to expect you to be a lawyer. So everyone, please take this with the obvious disclaimers. But could you explain that a little bit? So what is the license with 5th edition? Okay, the license with 5th edition, there's actually two of them. First is the OGL. So you can take what Wizards has released and write whatever you want with it. Okay. What's not there is any of the setting material. So you can't write... Beholder, Strahd, Forgotten Realms. And I noticed they did a few minor things, too, where looking at a class, say, Sorcerers, you get one of the origins. You don't get all of them. You don't get all the schools of magic for a wizard. Precisely. They limit some of that to make you want to buy the game. Exactly. They released a smaller amount, a very generous amount, mind you, but a smaller amount over the OGL. So you can still create whatever you want. You can create your own setting. You can create a 5th edition modern, since Wizards hasn't made a 5th edition modern. You can create some random game called Waymix and Wannabes, if you so desire. No, you can't. You can only create the Waymix part. (laughs) Yeah, no, we're going to pretend we didn't even hear that. No Waymix. Okay, uh, no, you can't make Waymix, sorry. <laughs> I'd be slow on that anyway, because I have two for the edition modules I need to make first. One is Gnarl Knows Knolls, all words starting with a G, which will be a Knoll <laughs> handbook, which will be significantly better than anything on the market right now. There'll and, be a lot of stuff on gnomes in there. No. <laughs> G-N-O, no. no. Okay. And the other one is Johnny G and I want to collaborate on a fully inclusive Odiug source book. And I, I have to explain the name because they have G-rated this a bit, but as a second edition on back, they said that Odiugs actually made the houses that they lived in out of fecal matter. I knew this was going to be igloo. So yes, Johnny G and I need to make igloo, which is a game about playing Odiugs. And I was even working on like a Secret Lives of Gingerbread Men type thing where, like, we're going to include a fudge recipe, and you have to, like, make their little village, and based on how the village is made and how it looks, it has different stats and traits and such. So, like, just like Secret Lies of Gingerbread Men, where, you know, oh, how, totally you, just like it's it. how yeah. you decorate them determines right. different things, Yeah, except it's also going to teach your children profanity and a kind of depraved worldview. Excellent. 
All right. Well, let's uh, let's actually take a look at that. The the Gnarl book, for example. Okay. Now, <laughs> aw. <laughs> let's let's compare and contrast the the two licenses for fifth edition, for example. So, if you release that under the DM's Guild, the one one of the two licenses that are available. So, Warwolves Waymix. If you release that under the the DM's Guild, Wizards would effectively own that. It's not that they would own it. Own it. You would still own that, but yeah. for all intents and purposes, that really doesn't matter because the uh, and yeah, I know the the. What does that mean? What does that mean? I mean. I once again, I'm not ex- disclaimer. You're not a lawyer. What, yeah. what, what, to your understanding, does that mean? Okay, that I own it, but I don't. Okay, and effectively, you still own it because you were the one that created it. The license says uh, says that you own it because you created it, but you can't sell it anywhere else. You can't license it to anyone else. Anyone can take that and use that as they see fit. Okay, so it enters that that is in the DM's so guilt. Is this correct? I could, for example take Warhol Wolves Waymix and sell it on, let's say, DriveThruRPG. Yes. But I could never convert it to any game but 5e. And if somebody decided to make Warhol Wolves Werewolves, which I would completely object to, because that's that's a bridge too far, I couldn't stop them because I have now sort of entered the open source the the DMs guild. right the the, okay. D, the DMs guild but okay. you got the rest of that correct now if you instead if you took that and released that under the OGL. You could say, well, you can't use Warl. You hmm. can't use Waymick. If you, in fact, own that, I actually have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know that the, the Knolls uh, in general are publicly licensed. Yes. But the character of Gnarl right. is yours. Yes. So, yeah. You, okay. You would so own. if I put it under the OGL. Right. But why would I ever not put it under the OGL? What's my inclination here? Well, see, I thought the DMs Guild also was letting you sell it through Wizards of the Coast website. So is that the distinction? To the best of my knowledge, nothing is for sale on Wizards of the Coast website. Okay. I haven't looked there in a while. I can't say for sure if they've changed it. But Wizards of the Coast website, if you want to go buy something from the DMs Guild, you just it'll just send you to the Cause, DMs Guild. Because uh, I guess here's where my struggle Well, is. that's what I meant by Wizards of the Coast website. Oh. I meant the DMs Guild so, yes. because they, own, they run that website. Yes. Okay. You do it because you're contributing to the community at large. Well, that was my question. Is So... If John and I decide to go out, and I'm going to save people the constant beeping, and we decide to go make Poop Pueblo. <laughs> right. And, you know, what would my motivation be to put this under the DMs Guild and not just put it OGL? Assuming ODIGs are public, which I think they are, but I'm not positive. We'll say they are. They're, they're Let's OGL. just pretend they are. Okay, so they're OGL. So yeah. what would motivate me to put this under the DMs Guild? Okay, now if you wanted to put that in Cormier. In the Forgotten Realms, if you wanted to okay. set that in Under Strahd's castle, so it's reciprocal. I get access back to their stuff. Exactly. Okay. Now I'm starting to follow. Yeah. And again, you are contributing to the D sure. D culture the, the same way that large. people write open source software. Yeah. Right. I, so I'm not. I'm not saying I don't get it at all. I'm just mm-hmm. trying to dissect this a bit. Well, yeah. and then. It's on the DM Guild website. People that yeah. are looking there will see it there. It's a platform. Versus yes. having to send them over to DriveThruRPG, or, which yeah. is... DriveThruRPG has some really great stuff on it, and yeah. you're overwhelmed when you go to it by the sheer amount of stuff. Sure. Or you just put it up on your own little personal blog. Well, uh, there is always... that You can also do that under the OGL as well. Mm-hmm. And now, here, here's the thing. DriveThruRPG and the DMs Guild, it's the yeah. same company. Mm. Chinese wall between them. Otherwise, they're the uh, same thing. From the short time that I ran D&D Adventure League, the DMs Guild is something that you get involved with while doing that. You, they, and I knew right away when it was sending me over, oh, this is attached to my drive through RPG account to get the things that you need as a GM running it. Those resources are on drive through RPG. Hmm. But that's where you end up at. That's not where you start at. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, the big disadvantage with it, though, besides you own the rights, but you you can let everybody use it. The big disadvantage is DMs Guild takes 50% of everything that you make as compared to... Yikes. Yes. That's a lot higher than an agenting fee. So this is really weird. I was thinking that the DMs Guild, because I knew nothing about any of this, right? I was thinking the DMs Guild, you didn't make any money. 
you know, you, you just put it out there, and it's a whole bunch, like you said, open source. It's like people put out, you know, they go to GitHub, and they put tons of open source stuff sure. out there and whatever. They, they fix yeah. part of the Linux yeah. kernel just right. because they're, they're just feeling cause, bored. Yeah, because yeah, it adds to the community, or they're bored, yeah. and it's a hobby, and it's cool. No, this to is me, for money. To me, that was like, okay, that that's pretty cool. That's legit. No one's making any money off this, and it's helping the hobby. Now that I hear the other end of it, where, yeah, people are doing this, and they're getting money. Oh, well, that's interesting. And they're taking a fifty percent cut. What? You know, it's Full kind stop. of it's a weird emotional thing. Yeah, but I, I was totally fine with free. If if it was free, I would understand the motivation. Yeah, but the moment you say you're going to get paid, but we deserve half of the money, that's a lot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it if is. it was if it was, 10, I would rather them not pay me. If it was ten or twenty percent, sure, I would understand that. That's a licensing fee, an agenting fee. That's not yeah. an unusual amount. But half, half for me to carry all the water? Yeah, no. I mean, granted, I wouldn't say you carry all the water. I mean, I get where you're coming from. They made Strat. They sure. made Forgotten Realms. Okay, they, you know that's a fair I, I point. I'm, I'm if I'm it's for, their platform. If I'm developing, but fifty percent. Yeah, <laughs> I think the percentage is horrible. But I see why someone would do this if they're actually into the setting of. Yeah. Forgotten Realms or something, where their inspiration lies is writing something around the sure. Forgotten Realms setting, Absolutely. then that's their opportunity to do so without being hired by Wizards of the Coast, which isn't going to happen. Now, you know, some uh, some of the people there have been allowed to actually write Adventures League adventures. So mm-hmm. it, it, what they write is played at conventions, just like anything put out by Wizards of the Coast they get a larger audience because of that. It's a bit of a give and take in that in that same way because, yeah, it, they might take a higher percent, but at the same time, you're not getting, you know, that same type of referencing by using the OGL. Yeah, because when you look at it for us as gamers versus a lot of gamers, when we look at a D&D game, for the most part, we throw out the proper names and settings. Not the proper names for the monsters, but the kingdoms and all of that. Sure. We don't typically use that. Yeah, we make our own. A lot of people do. Well, and and I understand that because whereas with D and D, I tend to create either all or most of the setting on my own. That's not the case with BattleTech. I will create whole sophisticated subsettings that are nonetheless within the BattleTech proper. Yeah, Yeah. and, and I would love to put out a source book. For here is my angle on Battletech, and I legally can't do that. Yeah, and well, I haven't read any of them. There's a lot of D&D books out there. Well, D&D and, and Dragonlance and... Look at the 5th edition game I ran, too. It's like, yeah, we as a group made the world, and I put a lot of different spin on it and a lot of originality into it, and Gromsch was in there, and Torm, Hail Torm, was in there, because... <laughs> I don't want to make a pantheon of interrelated gods and right. proper names. True, though, I, I guess in that particular situation, that's pretty easy to paper over. Right. Yeah, you know, I mean, you could just randomly generate a name using... You got orcs? Yep. You got gromsh? Yep. <laughs> we just call them gorsh, you know? I mean, you can right. paper over that pretty easily, yeah. but if you're... I mean, let's, let's go back to Battletech. I had this entire book I wanted to write that actually I almost got permission to write in the waning days of the original FASA Corporation about what was going on in terms of both independent and sponsored resistance behind the clan lines. You know, what the Intersphere was doing, once again, it's a small scale or the large scale, to try and interfere with the clan occupation. That's not something I can meaningfully adapt to a generic setting. I can't paper that over. I mean, I could, but it would be so much that I'd effectively be writing any random rebellion. You know, I mean, it would make no sense anymore. And so also you wouldn't have the motivation to do it. Yeah. And I wouldn't care as much because the fact that I'm just not as invested in it. So I, I do see the motivation. And I will say that as someone who likes Battletech that much, that if they said, you know what, we'll let you do it. And we'll even kind of pseudo in pencil call it official, but we want fifty percent of it. I might still do it. Yeah, I might do something like that for Marvel or DC, or if City of Heroes was releasing content, they had a couple books. Yeah, I mean, 
I have 20,000 words on the origin of one of my characters, but all of it is tied into that yeah. universe, and I can't well, paper that over. So I let's, got, let's flip this around, yeah. though. Sitting here before us in this brilliant red shirt is a man who chose one over the other. Yeah, yeah. I was about to ask so, if you've released anything. Yeah, so what, what is so it what you're was, doing and why? Yeah, what is the motivation? Okay, well, I haven't re- released anything on the DMs Guild, but I have released something on the Traveler Aid Society, or the TAS, as it's called. It's the exact same thing as the DMs Guild, except for Mongoose Traveler 2nd Edition. Okay, so anyone at Mongoose, if you created that name before the 1980s, <laughs> you should have just called it Taz, and not the Traveler Aid Society. That's from the, I'm pretty sure it's from 1st Edition Traveler from okay. back in, in the 80s. I I'm hope pretty so. sure I could I could be wrong. <laughs> Traveler second edition does not have an OGL. So it was my way or the highway is pretty much how it went. I like the Traveler setting. It's a good setting, you know, it's a fun game and and I like the system as well, so sounds good to me. Same setup, 50% same setup, 50%. It doesn't have its own DM's Guild website. It just, you know, go to drive through RPG and buy the books there. Mm-hmm. Also, they're all listed under Mongoose. Mm. Even if you write it under yes. your company. Exactly. Yeah. It, it's, a, it's a little like, hey, but yeah. it's... That but actually you. makes the 50% sting more. It does. I don't <laughs> well, on the other hand, though, if I'm going out to look for something for Traveler, I'm probably going to search by publisher Mongoose first. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, because if tomorrow, let's say Catalyst, who now owns the tabletop rights for Battletech said, hey, we heard episode, I guess this is 520 if you're the boot, and we really want you to write this, you know, Intersphere Resistance source book, and we will put it under the Catalyst name? To me, that kind of be a boon. I, I mean, I wouldn't see that as, I mean, unless they wanted to take my name out of the credits, I don't think that that would really bother me. No, you get, you create the uh, the file yourself, so you put yourself right in there. Little legal text you got to put in. Yeah, and if otherwise, they, if they put that under Catalyst, that kind of feel weirdly validating to me. One thing I'm curious about with these is: are there any rules around formats? So, do they give you a template that you have to start with to cover? We want a table of contents, or we want this font. Five pages of hardcore porn. I'm not going to speak to the DMs Guild because right. I. Don't I, I, I? Yeah, you haven't actually released on it there. Yeah, the, you released here. So. Well, okay. So for Traveler, no, it's just a. Here you go. You know, they did release a downloadable pack of. Here, if you want to use this, this, and this, go for it. Anything like a style guide of just these are our recommendations. Mongoose did list. Here's the fonts we used. Okay. So you can go out and find them. That's at least a start. I mean, because mm-hmm. yeah. that's one thing that would frustrate me if I were buying a bunch of different aids to a game if they all looked completely different had different fonts and just as a customer that would frustrate me exactly yeah it's it helps make your product look like the official company product so it does do exactly what you were just saying there so dan you did have an original question that you said was the totally the topic that i completely agreed to so (laughs) why don't you roll back to that all right so ask your question do you find a game like 5th edition, harder to create supplements for, no legal reasons, we're talking purely creatively, purely in terms of trying to create something that fits in well with the existing game, do you find something like 5th edition that's more rules light or more flattened, I guess numerically, harder to write for than something like Pathfinder or 3X, which has a lot more space under the hood? numerically in the way that pathfinder has the base attack bonus that goes one to 20 sure um no it's just like oh okay this is the system work with that having said that pathfinder has a lot more what i call fiddly bits you know it's like oh okay well you can here you get a feat x number of levels you get goodness knows how many class options where you can choose from a bazillion things skills Ranger skill points as you see fit. Prestige classes. Exactly. Yeah, you you can take all manner of things that are all over the place. Uh, fifth edition, on the other hand, when you take 
a class, anything from the core rulebook. I'm not going to say anything about from DM's Guild because I am not totally familiar with it. But if you're taking a class, you have very few class options. You have, here are your subclasses that you can take. You choose your skills at first level. You take uh, a few other uh, things throughout the uh, throughout your entire career, and that is it. The, there are very few fiddly bits, as I call it. The fiddly bits is where many publishers fill in the gaps. It's how you get from, oh, okay, I want to be Errol Flynn and Blade at the same time. I want to do some type of mix in there to, to get that exact combination I want. And unless you're going to write a subclass that is does exactly that, you're not going to find that. You're not going to be able to construct some way of creating that. There's not enough room in the empty spaces in, say, 5th edition to make that or to make a lot of those and make them unique and different. Exactly. Whereas in 3.5 or Pathfinder, there's so many different options and buttons, which to a player and game master like myself is a disadvantage of the system, but to other people, it's what they sure. want. There is more of that empty space to make things and, and move things around and to make it all within theme and to make it all fit. Exactly. Let me tell you why I think that's good. And this is purely subjective. All right, this, this comes completely down to my preferences as a player, as a GM, as a consumer of RPGs. And I am not at all trying to spin as right fun versus bad wrong fun. We'd be talking about pineapple pizza if I wanted to go that route. And you'd be so wrong. (laughs) And I'd be so right. But one of the frustrations that I had with role-playing games throughout the 80s and 90s in particular, and this started to get better in the mid to late 90s, and I think certainly got better post-D20 boom, because there was the OGL, but then there was also the D20 license. And unlike the OGL, the D20 license, that actually could be rescinded, and it was rescinded. Hmm. There are no longer any official D20 products. That was a separate thing, and I, I'm a little fuzzy on the distinction, but we've had people on the show that did understand it, so search through a library if you really want to know. The, the, the point being, and one of the frustrations I had was that as somebody that tends to run story and character-driven games... I have rarely felt the need to add more numerical stuff to the game. And I think I'm particularly averse to this because of the fact that it seems, and this is not always true, but oftentimes when a new source book comes out and they add more numerical stuff, there is this urge, and I don't know if it's because this is what the writers are passionate about or they want to move the product, or what it is. But instead of adding diversity, they add power. They go up. You know, the game doesn't go out. It just goes straight up. You saw this big time with Rifts. Every Rift source book that came out, the options that were in there were more powerful than any Rift source book that had come Which is shocking, because the baseline starting point is pretty powerful. Yeah, it it is. Well, I look at a, a game I think did well with this initially. When I look back at all the Battletech books... It was things like, this is a source book for dropships. Yes. This is a source book for air support. It was actually filling in those needs. That or here's different. a whole source book that just explained the inner workings of a war. We're not adding new technology or whatever, but here's what the people were like and the battles were like and the setting was like. And then they did the clans and started doing more power. Exactly. And then the clans came along and changed all of that. And now they're apparently regretting that because Battletech is about to get it sucked. Well, it's about to get a soft reboot where they are going to hard reboot. They are going to advance the storyline a hundred years into the future, and they are apparently going to flatten the technology level so it's all equal and give themselves the space to kind of restart the story a little bit. I don't know where they're going with that. There's a lot of speculation, and I don't have any more insight than anyone else does. But I know it's a thing that's going on. Let's take, for example, what I wanted to write for Battletech and almost did get a chance to write. There was going to be no new technology in there. There was going to be no power creep. I didn't have to really write any new statistical blocks at all to make this work. This was about culture and personalities and history and things like that. 
And now, I once again, I recognize that this is a style of play. First of all, not every book has to go up as opposed to out, even with numbers. You know, if you look at, let's say, a let's just pretend for a moment we all agree that the base D&D game is 100% perfectly balanced. And I know people say that's not the case. Or let's just pretend for the sake of arguments the case. Well, people want options, right? We don't all want to play the same thing. If we said we're going to run a D&D game right now, Wayne's going to have a hankering for one class. I'm going to have a hankering for another. We want to play different things. It's okay. You want to play a Wayman. No, actually, typically I want to play a cleric. But a Wee McCleric. No, Wayne McDruid, if we're going to go that route. <laughs> but, you know, it's diversity within the numbers, right? Numbers don't have to mean up. But secondly, there are people where, for them, the progression of power is part of the game. And that's okay. It's not my style of game. I don't like it. I'd be bored. But if you're enjoying it and having a good time and not hurting anybody... Go you're nuts. wrong, but I mean it's pineapple <laughs> pizza, but whatever. Go nuts. You're not. No, you're wrong. Like the end is about this pizza. <laughs> you're you're not hurting me with this. <laughs> As a GM, I get frustrated if the system that I'm running is one that's been around for quite a while, because that typically means there's a lot of books and a lot of new things. And I think at this point, I would just start off when I'm running a game of saying. Here's what you can and can't use. Not because I want to limit things, because I don't want to read them all. Well, I, and right. this is where I would say from a purely selfish standpoint, for me and for my preferred style of gaming, the fact that there's not much room to work mathematically is wonderful. Hmm. Because you now have to fill those books with story and characters and plot ideas. Look, within Battletech, I really do believe and I'm not just saying this because he's a sometimes rarely once frequent show host. One of the best books I have seen for Battletech, is actually a pair of books, was Chris Hussey's Hotspots. Hmm. And that's saying something because I didn't realize until we started doing Fear of the Boot that Chris Hussey wrote it. Because Tex and I profoundly hated the man back in the day because <laughs> he kept bogarting our publishing opportunities. And then it turns out we may have had him confused with Chris Hangins or something, but whatever. That, that's his, his fault still for having a similar name. And he wrote this book. And all Hot Spots is, is it's a series of plot hooks and contract ideas and premises for running a Battletech game. There are some stat blocks in it. There are not many. The book is almost entirely, the books, I'm sorry, it's two of them, are almost entirely templates for the GM to create a game and templates for the players to help them in the execution of the game. Things like contracts that they can look at, such as describe the terms of the plot as they're going to understand it. And I loved it. I think it is one of the best role-playing supplements I have ever seen. If we just pretend it wasn't created by Chris. <laughs> and for me, it is great because, you know, jokes aside, if I actually decided to sit down and write Gnarl Knows Knowles, or John and I actually sat down and wrote Poop Pueblo, yeah, there would have to be some stats in there to explain our approach to creating PCs within that race and such. But 90 plus percent of that book, It'd be setting, it'd be story, it'd be character personalities, it'd be culture, it'd be society. You know, it wouldn't be, well, here's this class and this prestige class and this magic weapon and this spell and this, you know, whatever. And for me, that's not what that's not what I feel I need more of in most games. There are some that feel kind of narrow to me. But so, most games don't feel that way to me. So we were talking about at I think it was at gaming one day. One of the supplements that you wrote that I find fascinating, and I'm curious if it has like stat blocks and things, the animal one for Traveler. Oh, yes. Okay, the uh, Creatures of Distant Worlds. Yes. Or the revision of it now, which just came out like a month ago. So, okay, explain to me what is this? Is this like... It's the monster manual for Traveler. Okay, so it's, it's like alien... But Traveler doesn't have aliens. Tra not, not really. It does. Yeah, it does, but not like monster. So no, like sapient okay. aliens, but we're the, talking no, like... No, like you're sailing along in a ship, doing a thing, and then something with 20 teeth jumps out and bites your face off. It's not that kind of game. 
Am I right or? Well, okay. Because I've never played. Okay, the the uh, core base game has monsters in it. You know, mm. just like the. Well, flora never mind. I take all the, that back. The flora and <laughs> fauna of the uh, of the universe. And the thing is, is that it's like two pages ah. out of the core book. Oh. And you know, as a compatible publisher, I fill the niches that the main company doesn't fill. Mm-hmm. And Mongoose hasn't released a book that is devoted to that in the current edition. Hence why I created my own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as we were talking about it, one of the things I liked was you were talking about how these are pets, these are, and all the ways you could use them. Yeah. And that's what I'm kind of curious. Do you have stat blocks for these animals? Do you Absolutely. It, multiple of them. and uh, So that way you can have, you know, like, here's the, the big dog, and here's the, the genetically engineered St. Bernard that fills a room. No, I like that, and here's mm-hmm. why. Because like I was just saying, in a lot of games, I don't feel like it needs more stuff in the statistical regard. I think there is still space for that in some games because either the game lacked it to begin with or there are large swaths of it that aren't really well filled. This is something that I struggle with in my own sci-fi setting. The Netbox of Rysos, I can tell you an enormous amount about these sapient aliens that inhabit the universe, their cultures, their personalities, their physiology... These are things I've spent years developing, and people like Keith Curtis have kind of helped me flesh it out even more. But if you were to ask me about the non-sapient creatures out there, you know, the alien versions of dogs and cats and hamsters. And cows and pigs. and Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. I've thought through some of it, but honestly, not as much as there ought to be. Well, and so if someone like Dale came along and said, you know, I'm going to flesh this out. I think it would be a welcome addition to the universe. Well, one of the things that we were talking about, too, with Dale when, when he was mentioning this, was that you said you had people saying, well, why the hell would we even want this book or need this kind of book in Traveler? What's the point of it? Sure. And you just faxed him a copy of your dong. Right. Because <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. the mature way to respond. Absolutely. Yeah. That's called marketing. Yes. <laughs> but one of the things that we were bringing up when we were throwing around ideas, it's like, why would Traveler need stats, history, description, pictures of a tiger. Why would it need that? Well, you ever run into a space pirate? Maybe space pirate's pretty eccentric. Maybe space pirate's got a damn tiger as a pet. Sure, why not? It came up in uh, The Walking Dead. Right. Maybe it's a genetically engineered crazy super future tiger, too. Yeah. They got well, that. And what or does ma- that say about that pirate? Right. Or maybe it is a saber-toothed tiger taken right. by an ancient race of aliens that stopped at Earth and picked one up back whenever saber-toothed tigers walked the Earth. And mm-hmm. they're out in space somewhere. They're just not here on Earth anymore. Yeah. You land on a nice little garden world, think everything's cool, and then there's dinosaurs and saber-toothed tigers. Because it's a zoo world by this crazy alien race. There you go. And not only that, I mean, if you made a character that was a big game hunter, mm-hmm. you, wouldn't you want something to shoot every so often? Right. Net, a little bit more than two pages. Exactly. <laughs> yep. And wouldn't you want, you know, like the stats for that giant dinosaur so that way you can have the uh, giant dinosaur head on your wall at mm-hmm. some point or another? You're going to need that. Yeah. Sounds good to me. I assume. I've never played Traveler, so... Never mind. <laughs> but, but two, but I hear Church old, runs it. Right. Yeah. But the having, only times I've played it, Church ran it. But having only two pages of this in the main book does seem like a little bit of an oversight. Yeah, that does kind of seem like a why bother. Right. If you're only going to do two pages, why not go ahead and do none? Yeah. Well, the nice thing about it is that it establishes, here's the formula for the stat block. Here's everything you need. It establishes scale. Exactly. The book also does have, you know, here's approximately how many hit points it's going to have or the equivalent of hit points it's going to have you know what are some various sample powers that a uh, that some creature could have what they can do and so forth so i mean i guess i could go back to simultaneously praising and insulting chris one of the things that he had in hot spots was there was a mission or contract you could accept that was about taming gigantic animals that were large enough to actually be a threat. They were not a substantial threat, but they were nonetheless a threat to Max, which makes sense. I mean, if you look at even Earth's history, there have been animals that have walked this Earth that are large enough to threaten a 30, 40, 50 foot tall robot. I mean, those animals existed. (laughs) And they could just as easily, or even more easily perhaps, exist on some alien world. And he did have some stats in there for them. Now, he didn't have a lot, but nonetheless, it was an interesting thought experiment 
in terms of what does the scale look like for something that is purely biological, not intelligent, but nonetheless, if you chase it down with a battle mech, could take its claws or teeth or whatever mm-hmm. and hit back. Play Traveler. Traveler's mm-hmm. a lot of fun. So is 13th Age. We're- so is Pathfinder and D&D 5th Edition. But odds are you've played one of those. So give 13th Age. Well, let me Age- ask you a question. If, okay. Because I don't know much about Traveler. I know what it is. But okay. I don't know a huge amount about Traveler. All right. If tomorrow I was going to go out and start Travel. Okay. Okay. If I was going to start D&D, I'd know where to start. Sure. The three big books. Player's Handbook, DMG, Monster Guide. Okay. If I was going to start Battletech. We did an in-depth, or I did a solo episode explaining how to start Battletech. If I was going to start Traveler, i go buy what? The Traveler Core Rulebook from Mongoose Publishing. That's it. So it's just one book? One book. One book, and then every Traveler supplement on Brazzers.com. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll have an awfully tough time finding any on Brazzers.com. But you will find some things you like. And then go to JohnBrazer.com and actually buy your Traveler supplements. Right. Well, okay. So, because Mongoose Traveler is on the equivalent of the DM's Guild license, you have to go to, to DriveThroughRPG.com. Yes. Now, do you have that linked off of JohnBrazer.com? Yes. Okay, so your Drive Through RPG store is linked from this one-stop shop. That is correct. Okay, good. Because otherwise we would put two links, but if people have one link they can visit to find it all, so much the better. Now, mind you, all of my first edition Mongoose Traveler books, which are under OGL, are on my website, as well as 13th Age and Pathfinder and 5th Edition, because they're all under the Open Gaming License. Cool. So you can buy all of those straight from johnbracer.com. So that's where we're going to wrap this one up. Be sure to check the show notes for any links to John Brazer's Dot all com. links will be all safe links will be for safe work. for work. Let me stress: we've made jokes about various porn sites. I'm not going to blindside anyone. You're with on the porn internet. Link. You can find yeah. your own porn. We're yeah. not going to send you to WhiteHouse.com. No, that actually is now government owned. They yeah, I know got they finally it. did. But I, we're not going to send you any porn sites. When we're not going to go see you. Anything in the show notes is safe. My jokes aside, so please do check those out. Dale, I want to thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much, and thank you very much for for having me. It was a blast being here. And we are going to have Dale back in a week or two or three. We've got to work out timing, mm-hmm. but we're going to have Dale back because there's some other subjects we wanted to discuss with him, including how he got into gaming, how he got into publishing, and then also questions like, so let's say you want to get published. How do you go about doing this? We've not done zero to publish yet, so we're going to cover that. <laughs> so uh, we're, we are going to cover, though, Dale's advice and Dale's story on this. Please do stay tuned. You're going to hear more from Dale, and, of course, you're going to hear more from us. Unless Aisha murders us because this episode is going to be disaster. To well, <laughs> fortunately, she's in Seattle, so it's going to be very difficult for her. So, not impossible. Not impossible, right. But... I, I could go into Brazzers.com. There's like some video drone <laughs> thing that kills me. But and that's two obscure movies I'm surprised you've seen. So. <laughs> I love video drone. Video drone is crazy. I'm, I, have you I, seen Dallas Buyers Club? No, I'm oh, not. it's really good. I, I, you, you know, I don't generally like, and this is where we close up for real. But I don't generally like these like super super trippy sci-fi movies, right? That came video out pretty like funny. like Dreamscape and right. such. Yeah. But I actually really did like Video Drone for some weird huh. reason. Maybe it caused a tumor that made me like it. I I don't know. But anyways, thank you guys for tuning in. Have a great week and great games, and we will catch you next time. Yeah. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2019. Listeners are free to use this episode in a non-commercial endeavor, so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. If you wish to support this show and its related endeavors, you can do so at patreon.com slash feartheboot.